0: Some current projects that we're working on right now are for the Gates Foundation. Our team is currently redoing for the World Bank their gender data portal, which is a sort of massive online data platform. The team is enjoying that work because we have found a great group of folks that are driven by good looking stuff and doing it for mission
1: driven, purpose driven companies. We've got to know pretty well because he works with me as the director of operations for Graphicacy. Graphicacy helps organizations tell their stories in visual form and is a sponsor of this podcast. Josh brings a background in democratic politics and tons of operation leadership experience to his current role. I got the chance to ask him about what he's been up to now at Graphicacy, as well as his career which included being driver and head of advance for a U.S. senator, advance work for both Hillary and Obama when they ran for president, and heading up operations for both nonprofit and for-profit enterprises before coming to work with me. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Josh Nerpel of Graphicacy. Well, Josh, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? So I'm uh, Josh Nurple. My current role with you and your company,
0: Graphicacy, is a director of operations. So sort of overseeing the business side of things and kind of the day-to-day of the company and work with some cool nonprofit organizations and NGOs and some for-profit organizations to do some data viz work. So I guess I've been doing that now for about four years in some type of capacity, which seems like it's kind of flown by. It's amazing that four years have gone by, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? And that's kind of what I'm up to these days. But you know, my background has been in a kind of combination of the nonprofit world and democratic political world. And so we can talk in more detail about that, I guess, during this. And I grew up in Washington state I am somewhat of a transplant to the east coast. I've been here now for about 15 years and uh live in brooklyn with my wife and and my
1: little boy oliver what was your family like that you end up in the political world were they political my parents were very
0: politically active my mom was an attorney uh and so she was like very involved in democratic politics in the town that my brothers and i grew up in she was a prosecutor worked in the prosecutor's office and so she was uh Sort of influential and sort of played a role in both getting her boss, the prosecutor uh, elected, and then a number of the sort of county commissioners and things like that. And I grew up in a pretty rural town uh, or city in in Eastern Washington state, you know, it's an agricultural based place, very conservative, but she and some of her friends were sort of the small group of Democrats uh, in the town. I was always like very interested in politics. And I think that like sort of one of the first elections that I remember on the sort of national level was Bill Clinton's campaign. I remember when he got elected to president, my mom started crying because she was so happy after a number of, uh, you know, Republican presidents that preceded him. Um, This idea that this uh, young guy from the South could get elected president as a Democrat in her lifetime was sort of surprising, uh, you know, after, I guess, Reagan and and Bush. So we were, yeah, I mean, we're very like involved in politics growing up. And my dad was pretty political too. Uh, in Vietnam, he was a conscientious objector um, and so was like very uh, politically involved at that point and ended up joining the Peace Corps uh, instead of going to Vietnam. And so, uh, you know, it was sort of like instilled in us from a pretty young age, like being politically active and uh, particularly progressive leaning, despite growing up in a place that was the opposite of that. And you're a twin, aren't you? I am a twin. Uh, I have a twin brother named Moses, uh, who is a little... Um, lives in Massachusetts. So we're both, uh, relatively close to each other, spend a lot of time visiting one another and you know, are pretty close.
1: That's cool. Um, college for you, what was it more than one place?
0: Um, I started at the university of Washington and went there for a year and then transferred to Seattle university, which was sort of a smaller Jesuit school, um, in Seattle and, uh, ended up graduating from there and studied political science during my time there. So just sort of uh, very interested in politics and did an internship while I was there for Joe Lieberman on his presidential campaign in Connecticut. It was a really interesting experience that I think kind of led to the professional experiences that I, that I had after college.
1: Joe Lieberman probably now viewed far more askance than he was then by Democrats. That was an ongoing experience for you, right? What was your take on him? You know, when I ended up doing the internship after I graduated from high school, my mom moved to
0: Massachusetts, uh, from Washington state. And so I was there for the summer and it was, I guess the 2004 presidential campaign was sort of beginning to heat up. I sent out my resume as such at that point to all the sort of different presidential campaigns, uh, was Carrie's campaign in Massachusetts and then Lieberman down in Connecticut. And I ended up getting an internship, um, for Lieberman in his, uh, Connecticut office of his presidential campaign. And for me then, you know, like he had been the vice presidential candidate. And so it was like, you know, very sort of high profile at that point. Yeah, with Gore. And so it was an amazing opportunity. The first experience that I had working as an intern for him was working basically in like a fundraising office. So it was a lot of like, you know, stuff in envelopes and various things like that. Uh, and then ended up doing a couple like bus trips up to New Hampshire to do doorbelling in the winter. And, and during the primary, he t- didn't do particularly well. I think he's he a three way tie for third or something in New Hampshire during that presidential campaign. But I kept in touch with the folks, uh, that I did that internship with. Um, and then when I graduated from college, ended up getting a job as sort of, a uh, um, his driver uh, and so um, ended up moving to Connecticut and spending a lot of time with him working on the campaign as his driver and then director of advance for his Senate re-election campaign a few years later.
1: I've talked to actually a fair number of people you know or, or actually of a wide range of different ages who worked as drivers in many of their cases there was a chance to really learn politics that way. Did you have conversations with the senator? Did you get to know him or was it more like, you know, fly on the wall observing?
0: Yeah, I think it was sort of a combination of both. I mean, it was, you know, like having grown up in this very small town in Washington state, like the the idea of sort of like aspirational, like if I'm going to get involved in politics, to be able to do anything that is uh, sort of at the Senate level would be great. But, you know, and then beyond that was... um, Sort of an amazing experience. And so, you know, when I ended up getting this job, like, you know, I think the first week on the job, it was like I had to go pick him up at the airport in LaGuardia or something. And it's just me and him in the car for an entire day. And then it ended up being the case of just like spending hours in the car with him, sort of driving all around the state of Connecticut. And I think having that sort of firsthand experience of just seeing the sort of ins and outs of politics when I started the job that happened was, it was like right around Hurricane Katrina. And there was this like major disaster in, you know, the Southern part of the United States. And he was, I don't remember what committee he was on, but I remember like, you know, all of the sort of briefings that he was doing and the various phone calls that he was taking and things like that. And like, just to see that sort of up close, but in, you know, in a lot of the sort of downtime spent with him in the car, there was the opportunity to just talked to him. And he was a great guy to work for. I disagreed with him on some of the sort of political aspects of things, particularly the Iraq war or whatever. But, you know, like it was an amazing opportunity to spend a lot of personal time with someone that was pretty senior in politics at at the time and been in politics for a really long time. And so it was a tremendous first
1: professional experience for, you know, 22 year old kid or whatever to get to do. Sounds like he treated you well. Did he treat you like a whole person who, you know, who's ambitious and learning and all that, or how, how did he interact with you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, he was extremely respectful and polite
0: and like, I kind of assumed that when I went into the job that like, you know, I don't know, I mean, I just had this perception of I think more senior political people that there wouldn't be the opportunity Like, I didn't
1: expect to be just treated sometimes as Sometimes you think of. they'll, they'll be kind of high and mighty and,
0: and exactly. uh, yeah, yeah. he was the absolute opposite of that. And I think that, you know, I think people, um, to your point earlier of the the sort of, I think, political stigma to some degree, because I think he ended up going much more uh, sort of to the right and a little bit less center, or at least I think perceived by that way in people of my sort of political, you know, leanings, progressive world. But I think what I always tell people is that while I may disagree with him about particular political things, he was a tremendous person to work for. Yeah, there wasn't any point of sort of being high and mighty of like, I am the senator and you can't talk to me as a normal human being.
1: Well, I once spent uh, probably 20 seconds in the elevator with him, so I know what you mean. (laughs) A lot of times when you do have that kind of exposure to politics, you can parlay that into a next move. You know, you can get a recommendation. Did that lead to anything or was that just learning for you? I think it led to something I was
0: also learning. The campaign where he was running for re-election, he was a Democrat. I think you obviously know, right? And like he was a Democrat and lost the primary and then running as an independent uh, at the time ended up being, I think, one of the highest profile Senate races of that cycle. Uh, because of him and his name and just the the sort of change to an independent. And so during the campaign, so I was his driver for a while and then became his director of advance. And so doing um, sort of all of his public events and setting them up and, you know, the sort of visual communication sort of aspects of political campaigning. And was fortunate enough to to get to spend a lot of time. There were a lot of advance folks that had worked for the Clinton administration, the Clinton campaign, uh, the Kerry campaign that ended up coming into the state to sort of volunteer as we were doing events all over the state. And so it was a tremendous opportunity to get to meet some of these folks and then sort of parlay that into after he won re-election. Um, I ended up going to then work for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, doing advance, uh, and so got to pretty immediately. Kind of jump into the national level of advance uh, for presidential politics, and you know traveling all over the country to various primary states, and so yeah, it was a it was a great sort of jumping off point of a political career and working in democratic politics.
1: What is a person who directs advance on a big Senate race or uh, you know works on it in a presidential a big one like Hillary's? What's the job like? What are the ups and downs of it? Um, I I I think the the ups of it are the sort of like
0: high profile nature of your job is essentially to try to create the camera shot uh, of an event that gets, you know, ideally put above the fold on a newspaper or online or whatever. And to try to create those visual communications of like the senator or the presidential candidate out like engaging with people, right? And to like, try to create the sort of image of them uh, out doing the sort of retailing politics or the with Lieberman in particular, one of his big focuses was like getting everywhere in the state. And so we spent a a lot of time going to like every little diner uh, all around Connecticut in which he would sit down and talk to all the folks about what they were concerned about, right? And so like it was trying to plan out the logistics of like an entire you know day or week and then into the presidential politics, the same type of thing of the upside of it is getting out to to be around the the folks that they're looking to talk to and trying to get those sort of high profile images. Like, like the the downside of it or the the stressful parts of it are the fact that, you know the when working for Hillary in Iowa, um, you know she would fly in for a couple of days. And like, it was our job to make sure that we had every minute of that trip planned out in a way that would logistically make sense of, you know flying into Des Moines and then driving to whatever little town to do an event at a barn or whatever it might be to, and then from that barn going to a diner or some retailing and politics and things like that. It was, you know, stressful, but it was like being thrown right into the fire at a young age. And, you know, it, it I think taught me, um, to deal with sort of stressful situations and the sort of planning. And it sort of presents you with an opportunity, I think, to work at a really high level, fast paced, high stress environment, which then makes sort of other professional things from that point forward kind of easier to, to navigate.
1: You know, it reminds me of a friend of mine and former employee, Laura DeLucia, who did operations for Obama in New Hampshire and then has made a career in operations in the private sector, in the public sector, in the nonprofit sector, it's just a transferable skill. She was on the podcast talking about it. And I just think the fact that you do operations for me now, I I can see how you would have built up a skill set that you're deploying now in a professional capacity. I I hadn't really thought about it that much, but uh, I can
0: see it. When you're doing it in like, you know, flying into, rural Iowa or Texas or Nevada or wherever. And, you know, like working out of a hotel room to essentially plan out the logistics of like everything with nothing, uh, you know, like it sort of gives you the opportunity to think in a very sort of sequential way that allows you to plan for things, right. And to like sort of think through the nuts and bolts of everything. Right. And so I think that where that sort of transferred for me, similar to your uh, former colleague or employee is like, I made the transformation from doing advanced into the operations world in which it was like, you know, how do you think about every detail of a company and the nuts and bolts of it and the sort of inner workings to try to get things into a place that allows it to scale and to grow and to function. I think some people like hate that type of work. I think some people like hate thinking about all the different parts of, like, of the company, right? But I, I really enjoy it. Like I enjoy the work to like think about the finance side, the operations side, the staffing side, the human resources aspects of it. Um, all of that to sort of like make the trains run on time uh, to some degree is a rewarding
1: professional challenge. How was the Hillary advanced job compared to the Lieberman. Did you get to know her to any extent? Did you get a sense of how she treats people around her? What was the vibe there? I think I was fortunate to work on um, a few campaigns
0: in which they were both the Lieberman world uh, and the Hillary world, I think, were amazing experiences. All the people that I worked with on the Hillary um, campaign were great professionals. I'm still friends with a lot of them, you know, I mean, you worked on that campaign and, you know, I think people became very close, people become very close in those types of environments. Right. And so I got the opportunity to meet her numerous times along the way. And, you know, it was the same type of deal in which, like, I think the thing that attracted me to the sort of advanced world was that opportunity to spend as much time as you do with the candidates themselves and the sort of public facing aspects of politics. I don't really love the sort of field side or, or uh, you know that side of, of the, having to go door to door or whatever. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. But I think that the you know time to spend with the candidate and to to do all of that stuff, I think was was awesome. And I I had a great experience working for her. Uh, I thought she was a great person to work for. And then when she ran for um, president again in 2016, I had the opportunity in New York to spend a lot of time doing advance for her presidential campaign then too with a lot of the same
1: folks as i said still you know talk to them quite a quite a bit as you sort of reference i did work on that campaign i was the chief technology officer that was my first substantial campaign my maybe my only Uh, and what i noticed was this sort of rule that you're supposed to stay in your own lane i kind of had this naivete that Someone might ever ask me about politics, no one did. Did you have any frustration that like your job is you know to do advance rather than to think about strategy when you're on a number of campaigns? When I was
0: doing these campaigns, I was of such an age that like it wouldn't have necessarily <laughs> crossed my mind to do that, right? Like you know I was in my early 20s or something like that. It was like, this is an amazing opportunity in and of itself. I think if I were doing that job now, a little older now and, you know, probably have a little bit more uh, opinions that I think I am more willing to share that, you know, like it would probably be a very different situation for me. At that point, it was like, you know, you're there to do a job and, you know, you try to do it, do it well. I was working basically full time for the campaign and ended up being offered an operations job in D.C. by someone who had also worked in the Lieberman world um, and he was moving on to like another job and as he was working as a COO of a nonprofit in DC and he reached out to me and was like, you know, I I need to find somebody to replace this position that I'm leaving. And so I made a decision during the primary in Iowa to stop working full-time on that campaign and to then go take this other full-time job in the operations world. Partly, I think just out of a like, you know, realization that that if you were going to make that decision to work on political campaigns as a profession, you need to be comfortable with the sort of insane lifestyle of living out of a suitcase and traveling constantly and the unpredictable nature of it. And I didn't really want to do that. I was at the time living with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, and we had met on Lieberman's campaign. I sort of made the decision to take the full-time job in the more uh, operations world, while at the same time, I would then travel on the weekends and things like that to the primary states and Ended up still doing advance on the side for Hillary and then Obama and then at the Obama and Biden in the White House. Uh, so I got kind of the, the best of both worlds of it. I think of like you know taking vacation time to go travel for the campaigns while also having the full time job and working you know nine to five or whatever and coming home at the end of the day. Where was that job? Was that the Energy Group? It was based in D.C. It was uh, securing America's future energy was the name of the organization and. It was a sort of smaller nonprofit when I started, you know, three or four people or something, with a, I don't know, one or two million dollar budget, and I didn't really know anything about nonprofits at all when I started. You know, I knew that I wanted to work in like sort of advocacy or politics or things like that, and so it was an opportunity to work at this DC-based organization that was focused on energy advocacy to reduce dependence on foreign oil. But what it ended up being for me uh, in sort of my professional career was an opportunity to learn the real nuts and bolts of like setting up a nonprofit, the legal side of like 501 C threes and 501 C fours and uh, spent a lot of time with our attorneys and our auditors and, and everybody doing sort of a crash course and how to like uh, set up these organizations and how to administer them. And so it ended up being a tremendous experience for me to sort of coming into it with, you know, like the logistics experience of the Campaign world, which I think translates to the operations world, but I didn't have any real professional experience. So I think they kind of took a risk on me and was like, well, this guy seems to have a good head on his shoulders and could probably figure it out. And I was able to use that opportunity to learn a lot of it. So I did it for like three and a half years and the organization grew quite a bit while I was there. And so it was a lot of sort of putting in place a lot of these building blocks of a company from the legal point of view, the accounting point of view, all of this stuff to scale the organization and open up some associated entities that were part of it that, you know, I think has been with me and the other professional things that I have done since then to sort of grow and scale, you know, other nonprofits or for-profit companies or, or things like that. Um, so it was a great experience.
1: What are the other jobs that you've had since then that you're referencing?
0: Yeah. Um, so after that I went and worked, uh, at a, uh, A nonprofit in New York. Um, My wife and I moved to New York and I worked there at an organization called One Voice. uh, And it was the Peaceworks Foundation, it was like the actual, but it was the One Voice movement, which was an organization that had been started by the founder of Kind Bars. And this was kind of before Kind was the crazy thing that it is now everywhere in every store. But he had sort of started in selling products that were essentially bringing Israelis and Palestinians together for peace purposes uh, that were, you know, taking certain products from Israel and certain products from Palestine and bringing those together to sell these products in the United States. And he started a nonprofit around it that was focused on sort of that, but then also building grassroots support for the two state solution in Israel and Palestine. Um, So I started there as sort of the director of operations. And, you know, like I had learned a good deal about sort of Israel and Palestine um, during college, but it wasn't an area that I'd focus a lot of attention in the sort of like conflict there. And so I ended up working there for about five and a half years, uh, starting as the director of operations and then moving up to become uh, the executive director before I left. It was another just amazing opportunity of like sort of taking what I knew in the nonprofit world and the political world. But I got to travel a lot to Israel and Palestine, spent a lot of time in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and in the West Bank. The mission of the organization was really building grassroots support uh, for the two-state solution sort of in parallel in Israel and Palestine. While I was there... As the um, executive director, we ended up getting a couple of grants from the State Department to try to fund uh, building grassroots support for the two-state solution in Israel and Palestine. Um, And we used uh, sort of that as an opportunity to make some pretty substantial investments in trying to take uh, sort of data-driven organizing, the organizing model that essentially had been pioneered by the Obama folks. And, you know, I mean, there's obviously other examples of that before they did it, but I think it really became more popular and sort of with their data-driven organizing model. Uh, And we hired a couple of folks that had done it for his campaign and had them go over to Israel and Palestine and train our team there And how to really, you know, collect data about the people that you're trying to organize and build a database of those people and use a very particular organizing model. And we ended up scaling the the organization considerably to becoming the largest grassroots organizations in Israel and Palestine in support of uh, sort of progressive politics in in parallel on both sides. And so again, it was an amazing opportunity to sort of take what I had learned as the director of operations, but then grow into more of this executive director type of role and sort of overseeing the the organization and spending a lot of time with my colleagues in, in Tel Aviv and Ramallah to grow the company into something that by the time I left, I was extremely proud of what, what it had become. Why did you leave? Um, so I left uh, the organization in Israel. ended up being pretty involved in the 2015 uh, election to, mobilize progressives um, to try to get them to turn out to vote to support the progressive candidates to get netanyahu out of office i spent a lot of time in tel aviv uh, leading up to the 2015 israeli election like i would go on Sunday nights and be there for the week and then fly back on Friday. And so I was going like very, very regularly. Um, and then we ended up, I think, you know, everybody thought that that Netanyahu was likely going to lose that election and he ended up winning again. And it was a really demoralizing um, thing, I think, that happened in particularly the peace movement in Israel uh, and in Palestine. I think that there was a lot of hope riding on that election and the ability to sort of move towards the two-state solution to get Netanyahu out of office. I sort of came back and I was at a point where we had accomplished a lot as an organization. We had really grown substantially and I felt I felt very proud of sort of where we were at, but I was kind of ready for a new challenge. And the 2016 election in the US was just beginning to ramp up and so I started exploring opportunities to to transition from there into something that was more focused on domestic politics, right? Like I had been focusing on Israel and Palestine for the previous 5 years and You know while it was a tremendous opportunity to meet a lot of people in ramallah and in tel aviv and to grow professionally i was kind of burned out with it and you know looking to do something different at that point
1: so what was the new thing that you did
0: so then the next thing that i did from there uh was um i guess how you and i met uh was um there was a a new media company that was starting that was um focused on uh really amplifying and sort of countering the right-wing media um, that comes out of Fox News and Breitbart's and various things like that to create a platform that is more effectively, particularly online, communicating like progressive and democratic messaging. And so um, I left the, that uh, the nonprofit One Voice and, and went to work for what is now the American Independent. It had been Blue Nation Review, uh, and then became ShareBlue, um, and then now is the American Independent and started there as COO and sort of taking this, what was essentially like an online Facebook group uh, with a pretty large following as Blue Nation Review of about a million followers or something, and working to sort of build that into a progressive media company. was there through the, um, really through the 2016 election in, in that role.
1: How was that experience for you?
0: It was mixed. I think that the uh, you know the the opportunity to take I had largely really only worked in the nonprofit world uh, and well I guess in political campaigns and in the nonprofit world, but it was an opportunity to take some of the um, operations experience that I had uh, really kind of fine tuned in the in the nonprofit world and bring it to the the for profit world. So I think that was you know really positive. You know, but there was uh some just managerial challenges and various things like that that I think we had to work through as a company that was a good learning a good learning experience of I think how to try to work through um, managerial challenges as a company and I think I learned a lot from that particular experience, but I think that's probably all I'll say about that.
1: Sounds like you've learned a little bit about being politic in politics. <laughs>
0: I think that that's
1: correct, yeah. I had worked at a number of organizations that
0: had very strong leaders and entrepreneurial people that I had worked with, right? So I think I was used to working in environments in which people were pushing companies really hard to grow and to scale and to try to be high profile and public facing and to to make an impact. With that experience, it was the same type of thing of like trying to do something that was, was different. And so I think, you know, in any type of Venture or enterprise in which you're trying to start a, a startup or a nonprofit that is, you know, trying to do something different. There's always uh, growing pains that you have to work through as an organization to make change and to to push and to, you know, not sort of rest on your laurels. But I think to grow anything, it takes a lot of energy and passion, and sometimes those things lead to disagreements and challenges you have to work through.
1: So usually, when you're building a career, you want to kind of do bigger and better things as you go up. But now you take the giant step downward of coming to work with me. Uh, <laughs> what was the rationale there?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, I think the the rationale was that looking for some type of like just different opportunity. You and I got to know each other a little bit. And then I came down to DC on the train. I think you and I took a walk in the woods uh, for a while. and just sort of talked about like where I was looking to go with my career. And you had this Thing called Graficacy that was working on data visualization and smaller team of very passionate folks um, and kind of some great professionals in the space. I saw it as an opportunity. I think to like take the previous experience that I had built of trying to grow some of these different nonprofit or for profit ent- entities and work with someone like you that is entrepreneurial and uh, sort of thinks bigger than whatever might be sort of right in front of you or in the immediate. I think when we first started working together, I think there were some challenges of how to make it all work, right? I think there was a smaller team, and there was a um, everybody was doing a lot of everything. And I think that we have continued to grow as a company to get to a place where our team is doing some really awesome stuff, as far as um, you know, working with Johns Hopkins on the Coronavirus Resource Center, or working with the Gates Foundation, or for-profit entities like McKinsey or Price Waterhouse. Um, you know, the World Bank. Uh, And so, you know, it's it's an opportunity, I think, to work with some of the world leaders as far as what they are doing to try to help visually communicate whatever it is they're trying to to get out there. I think when you and I took that walk in the woods, I didn't think that, I expected that I would be here for four years uh, that we would be where we are at today.
1: One wants to be careful about crediting any one person for anything in a, a small company where everybody is important. But I know that what you brought to Graphicacy has been really important in terms of sort of organizing us for success. One of the things about building enterprises of in any area is that you have to learn as you go and you have to iteratively improve your systems and you have to improve your staff over time and you have to improve your product or service over time. And that's what I've really seen happen. Not in a completely linear way, as life is often complicated, but the trend is since you've come on, has been steadily in the right direction. And that's to everybody's credit that's worked there, but also particularly to yours. How is it feeling at this point in terms of what we do and how we're doing it? Well, first of all, thank you.
0: The thing that has been, uh, I think my career path of working in politics and then some nonprofit stuff and then some for-profit stuff, I think the thing that is like sort of consistent throughout the experience has been, you know, I think what the advanced stuff very early on taught me was that in the absence of a plan, things can go south pretty quickly, right? And so I think that there is a need for there to be a very sort of clear plan and the sort of foundation to then build upon. Right. And so I think that the experiences that I had at these nonprofits that were sort of, uh, they had been established, but they weren't grown to fruition was a need to like, focus on like some of the basics. And I think that one of the experiences that I think I've really enjoyed at Graphicacy is like almost refocusing on those basics and making sure that we have like all of the sort of systems in place that are, uh, you know, the project management stuff or the time tracking stuff or the right materials to go out and sell ourselves in the right language to talk about ourselves. And not to say that none of that stuff was in place, but I think we um, and the team has really focused a lot on making sure that all of that stuff is sort of up to par. When we were taking on fewer parallel projects, it was important to have that stuff in place. But then as we have then built upon that and we have more and more work coming in and more and more team members, the ability to sort of scale and take on that work is easier to do when you have some of these processes and systems and uh, sort of clarity of focus uh, with the company in place. We have arrived at a point where I think there is less of a question about what the company focuses on, right? Like I think it's like a data viz company. We focus on data viz. I think we're really leaning into like the visual communications aspects of data visualization and visual storytelling. And I think that it has then resulted in our ability to hire and retain some pretty uh, great staff members um, and to work for some high-level and high-profile clients. Some current projects that we're working on right now are for the Gates Foundation. Our team is currently redoing for the World Bank their gender data portal, which is a sort of massive online data platform. The team is enjoying that work because we have found a great group of folks that are driven by good-looking stuff and doing it for mission-driven, purpose-driven companies.
1: We're in a positive place with the opportunity, I think, to further scale, to you know, become bigger and better. So what, what is a good client for Graphicacy, and what's a good engagement with that client look like? I think one of the, the best experiences that we have had thus in my
0: time here is we have some ongoing work that we're doing with Johns Hopkins and particularly Johns Hopkins like Bloomberg School of Public Health. We have a really solid partnership with their International Vaccine Action Center. They had had a platform that was sort of outdated and hard for them to manage and you couldn't really visually it wasn't doing what it needed to do as far as like a data viz platform. And so they came to us and asked us asked us to redo that and rebuild the technology behind it and the sort of front end aspects of it. They are, I think, the ideal client for us because they have a tremendous amount of data uh, and getting that data out to um, a sort of wide array of people. It's their sort of currency. Um, and so they have audiences that span sort of scientists, public health experts, the media. It's the sort of perfect opportunity for a company like Graphicacy and the team to look at all these different audiences and try to work with them to tell the story of their data um, in a visually compelling and engaging way. So we've been working for them for about two years or so with vaccines being the focus of their work. They're really focused right now on COVID vaccines and the studies that are happening all around the world and the effectiveness of those vaccines. And so there's just so much data um, that they're trying to get out there. You know, right now we're rebuilding part of it to accommodate all the different studies and effectiveness studies that are happening with COVID vaccines and the Pfizer vaccine, Moderna vaccine, Johnson and Johnson, all these other dozens of vaccines that are out there in trials.
1: So you tend to, in your career, work four or five years in an enterprise and get itchy feet. What do we have to do at Graphicacy to make sure that you and other key players stay around? How do you think about retention for the rest of the staff and for yourself? I think the thing that keeps me excited about graphicacy is the continued
0: potential to grow. Uh, and so, you know, I think that it's important with, I think, an enterprise as you're growing it to give people the opportunity to try to continue to grow and learn and be engaged and part of the growth of that company over the last couple of years in particular, I think you and I have had a lot of conversations about how to try to ensure that we have people that don't sort of like top out at certain roles, but give them the opportunity to sort of grow within the company and to feel like they have a level of ownership over the company and the growth of it and they are bought into it. You know, working with you in particular on this, I think it's been always clear uh, to me that it was like, you know, feel a level of ownership over this company, try to make it grow, try to be part of taking it to wherever it can, um, which I think is is not always the opportunity of places. There isn't always an opportunity in small or big companies to feel that level of ownership. Part of what I feel currently at Graphicacy is a bright horizon in our ability to kind of take this to wherever we want to go. The harder we work, the greater it can become. There are places that I've worked where I feel like I've sort of hit a wall as far as like I've done all I can here and there isn't more for me to do to grow this thing. Um, And I don't feel like we are at that point yet. There are plenty of opportunities for further growth and ambition um, in what we're doing.
1: Have you thought much about the application of data to tell a story in campaign politics to kind of connect your past with your current work?
0: Yeah, I mean, we've actually had I think the the last example of doing that was for um, we've done some work with Working America as part of the AFL-CIO. And then we've also most recently done a project with Vote Run Lead uh, in which um, they had a new campaign that they were rolling out to try to increase the number or the percentage of women uh, elected to office in state legislatures. And I think that was actually a really successful project because it allowed us to try to tell the story of that in a sort of like visual narrative, scrolly telling type of experience. I think the challenge, though, in like politics, in the use of data visualization, in and by politics I mean like campaigns, is that campaigns are so often trying to very quickly turn around messaging. A lot of it is sort of social media-driven. And I think most of the work that we do at Graphicus he tends to be sort of, you know, couple-month engagement at the short end. And when you're building out that sort of custom data visualization, it is hard to pivot very quickly when you have to be able to redesign it and re-engineer it based off of the sort of uh, ebbs and flows or quick turns of a political campaign. And so I think that it is an area that I think we have not fully sort of cracked the nut of a graphic as Seat. I think everybody in our, on our team is is passionate about progressive politics, or they are passionate about a particular cause within the progressive world. And so I think people are very motivated to do work for I think the tagline, visualize a better world, right? To try to do things that are making an impact uh, on the progressive side of things. But I do think that from a campaign side of things, we haven't been able to find that I think type of like project in which it allows us to do that type
1: of work. We have worked for you know the organizations you mentioned, but also like uh, campaign fundraising enterprise, you know, to try to help them uh, show their data, show sure, the impact. In particular, I think it's. And
0: I think that's probably where we've done that most effectively is like show the impact of their to their donors or to their audience or whatever.
1: Josh, is there a question about your career about graphicacy where you want to help take it that I haven't asked that you'd like to be asked?
0: I don't think so. I think we've, we've covered a lot in a short period of time.
1: I'm so glad to have the chance to catch up with you in this sort of strange way. Anything else you want to say? Part of what I did when I first started working with you was
0: to help you set up the website for this. For the podcast, yeah. Y- yeah, exactly. Uh, for the podcast. And I think, I don't know what episode number, I was actually looking right before we, we joined, but. I think I'm well in the 600s,
1: am, am I not?
0: And to see that you have now done, you know, over 600 episodes over the last three and a half years uh, at three uh, episodes a week, I I never expected that that was to be the case. Um, And so, you know, it's been fascinating to listen to the episodes and the number of people that you have talked to from just like a wide array of different people. So I feel lucky to have the opportunity to join you um, to you know tell
1: a little bit of my story um nothing if not dogged about things like this right
0: uh, <laughs> yes that's, that's true
1: <laughs> all right good to talk to you that was josh nurple josh is at graphicacy.com this is nathaniel g perlman with the great battlefield podcast you can find us at great com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.